0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. With legislators eager to get out of Juneau and out into Alaska's summer, the impasse in the Capitol is hard to grasp. An agreement between both parties had been hammered out, yet there has been no vote on the budget. KCAW's Robert Woolsey invited Alaska public media correspondent Andrew Kitchenman to share his thoughts on the situation.
1: Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you? I'm good. Andrew, I called because it looked like the House and Senate Conference Committee had gotten together and come to an agreement on the budget for next year, including the permanent fund dividend, but they still haven't got together to vote on it uh, on the floor. And I just wondered if you had any insight into what's going on.
2: You know, the the conference committee had six members, and the majority of, of both the House and Senate members come from the majority caucuses. Now, The minority caucuses are also important in reaching a resolution every session because in addition to the vote on the budget, which is a simple majority vote in both chambers, there's a separate vote uh, over—it's basically a complicated provision that allows the state to draw money from the constitutional budget reserve. What's unique about that vote is that it requires three-quarters of both chambers to vote in favor of it. And that's going to require votes from the House minority. The reason that's an issue today is that members of the House minority really wanted to see the state pay a statutory PFD. uh, That would be a permanent fund dividend of roughly $3,500 this year. And uh, barring that, they would like, um, at least some of them would like something along the lines of what Governor Mike Dunleavy has proposed which is a dividend between twenty-three and $2,400. Um, the dividend that the conference committee agreed on is $1,100, and so there's a little bit of an impasse as far as getting those minority votes in order to move forward with the uh, constitutional budget reserve vote. Uh, tomorrow will be a big day because it's really when the legislature would have to pass a budget to avoid Uh, pink slips or layoff notices going out to state workers because uh, they haven't passed the budget yet.
1: Well, Andrew, I don't think anybody wants to pay a dividend of only $525, but that's the alternative if the majority just passes the budget that they've agreed to without the um, withdrawal from the Constitutional Budget Reserve. Would that really happen? Is that a possibility? I mean, that seems like it's completely undesirable from both sort of a political standpoint and financial one for Alaskans.
2: Well, certainly uh, legislators would like to avoid that, including uh, the members of the leadership uh, in both chambers. Um, There's a lot that's going to happen. Well, there could be a lot that happens between today and tomorrow. There's also a lot that could happen uh, between now and the first week of October, which is when dividend payments are usually made. So, uh, you know, we'll, I'll be keeping an eye on that. It isn't just the majority of the dividend, which you pointed out, that depends on the constitutional budget reserve draw. There's also all of the state funding for the uh, power cost equalization program, which offsets the cost of power in high cost parts of the state, as well as. Uh, A lot of the university scholarships and need-based grants uh, all depend on that constitutional budget reserve vote. So there will be pressure on lawmakers to vote for it, but uh, a lot of the members of the House minority come from districts that have been uh, very unhappy over the last five years that the state has not been paying the uh, statutory dividends uh, during that time. Of course, the, the reason why legislators... Are not paying the statutory dividend, is they don't want to draw more than is sustainable from the permanent funds earnings reserve account. And legislators haven't been able to agree on either large. Uh, new taxes or further cuts to the state budget.
1: Andrew, just lastly, what do you think the inflection point will be tomorrow? Is is something going to shift, or is it just sort of a game of brinksmanship here going into the, the final couple of days of the special session?
2: I've talked to legislators who are hopeful that something new will happen that will actually cause uh, more of a consensus to occur. Um, I think barring that, we, we likely would see the votes on the budget itself, uh, even if there aren't enough votes for the power cost equalization. But, but you know, I'm just a reporter, and, and uh, certainly the, the legislators could do something different.
1: All right. Alaska Public Media's Andrew Kitcheman reports from Juneau. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. You're welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: The Yukon Territory's largest COVID-19 outbreak to date climbed from 18 to 21 active cases on Monday. That's despite nearly three-quarters of the territory's adult population fully vaccinated. KHNS's Mike Swayze reports that even though life in Skagway seems to be getting back to normal for most, the rising case count is upending daily life on the other side of the border.
3: Yukon's capital city, Whitehorse, sits about 110 miles north of Skagway. With the international border between Canada and the United States remaining closed to all but essential traffic, many people in the small border town of Skagway dream of visits to its closest neighbor accessible by road for groceries, hot springs, and so much more. However, this weekend, Yukon's COVID-19 cases surged. New cases were reported in Yukon's largest city of Whitehorse, whose population is about 30,000 people, as well as smaller population centers like Burwash Landing and Carcross. Here's Yukon's Deputy Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Katherine Elliott, briefing reporters on Monday about a new, more infectious strain of the coronavirus.
2: This is an outbreak of the gamma variant of COVID 19, which is a variant of concern. That was first recognized in Japan among people traveling from Brazil.
3: World health officials are moving toward a new naming system, utilizing Greek letters instead of the names of countries in an attempt to reduce stigmas associated with areas that produce more potent strains of the virus. Though most of the cases in Yukon involve high school students and unvaccinated adults, at least one fully vaccinated individual in Whitehorse was reported as infected. But Elliot says that's rare.
2: The times we see those unusual rare breakthrough cases is prolonged close contact of the type you have in a household or with a sweetie or with your, you know, best friends.
3: Additionally, Elliot says that symptoms are less severe in fully vaccinated people, plus the risk of hospitalization and death is far lower. That is sure to be reassuring news for Skagway residents who worry that welcoming visitors from the lower 48 could be exposing them to COVID-19. The first cruise ship to land in Skagway in 21 months, the American Constellation, arrived last Friday and brought about 80 new faces to town for an overnight stay. The latest report from the Dahl Memorial Clinic in Skagway shows 701 people have been fully vaccinated, but with a constantly shifting population, it's difficult to know exactly what Skagway's percentage of vaccinations is. Skagway's tour season starts to ramp up significantly in late July, with ships bringing thousands of people to town on the schedule. There is no word yet on when the border between Canada and the U.S. will be opened, though Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has signaled there may be some relaxation on travel restrictions as early as next week. Reporting from Skagway, I'm Mike Swayze.
0: While the city of Sitka considers ways to spend a million-dollar donation from Norwegian cruise lines to help with losses during the pandemic, Juno has said no thanks. The Juno Assembly turned down a $2 million gift from the company during its regular meeting Monday night. As KTOO's Bridget Dowd reports, some Assembly members were concerned about how the public would think about the city taking the money.
4: In May, Norwegian announced it would donate a total of $10 million to Alaska port communities. The funds were intended to support small businesses and those most impacted by the lack of cruise passengers last year. The company has purchased an empty waterfront lot downtown where it wants to build a dock. Carol Treem is one of six assembly members who voted against taking the donation. She says the proposed dock factored heavily in her decision.
2: The whole process from start to finish requires decision-making from the assembly. And I just think that to accept money from NCL, even though it's totally separate from the decisions we'd be making about this development project, just is not a good look for us.
4: Treem says even though she has faith in everyone involved, just the appearance of impropriety is enough to lose the public's trust. During the meeting, Assembly member Wade Bryson disagreed with that argument.
3: The opposition to the dock is still gonna be there. The pro tourism groups are still gonna be there. Taking that $2 million changes not one number on either side of that equation.
4: Bryson added that the path for Norwegian getting its dock is already in city code and charted out.
3: Yes, I would agree that we have to make a couple of decisions along the way, but they're not going to be able to come up with like some strategy or technique that's going to help them circumvent the Juno process. It would be foolish and fiscally irresponsible to reject this money that is going to go at our decision to helping our community.
4: Ultimately, the motion failed by a 6-3 vote, and the Assembly asked City Manager Rory Watt to go back to Norwegian, suggesting the company donate directly to an organization like the Juno Community Foundation instead of the city itself. In Juno, I'm Bridget Dowd.
0: I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.